0: Well, if you say so. Your
1: host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. Ian Garlic here, and today's guest is an old friend, an amazing developer doing some interesting interesting things that if you don't listen to them, you could get sued i know some people that have been sued and it's not a pretty lawsuit but if you do it right you could help your web users out but before we get started this show is brought to you by authentic web if you're looking to help create a website that tells your story you know video is the way to go and if you want video and website combined that really works make sure to go to authenticweb.media all right my good friend jamie lane thanks for being on the show bud Thanks for having me, Ian. Good to see you. Good to see you too. I know we're doing this over Skype, and he's like what ten miles away, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I never see him or you know his, his beautiful wife, who's a good friend also. Um, and it's sad, and we're too busy. We need to make that happen. But let's talk about this. Let's talk about ADA compliance, which is interesting because this is not ABA compliance. This is not bar association compliance. This is. Tell me a little bit about the, what. ADA compliance is and how it affects websites. Let's just talk about that first.
0: <clears throat> Absolutely. So, ADA compliance is the American Disabilities Act compliance, and that's you know ensuring that your website is accessible to anyone with a disability. And I think the biggest thing that most people aren't clear on inside of you know modern relationships is what exactly is a disability it's not just um, being blind it's not just being deaf it's not having just motor skill issues the gamut of spectrum of issues that are covered by the ada is massive they say about 36 million individuals within the u.s have some form of disability
1: wow that's a lot <clears throat> um, so why you know i have all tags i have all the stuff how is my website even prone to why am i should i care about this <laughs> Well, if you have
0: a physical presence, if you have a retail store, a dentist office, a restaurant, um, your website is an extension of that business. And what that means is users who are trying to find you, access your um, public place of accommodation, your website is acting as that digital gateway for those users who are not able to necessarily get to your business to get to the same um, services, such as you know finding where you're located, um, buying a product. Um, seeing what your office hours are how to contact you so if your website isn't being accessible to those users in essence you are um you're you're causing problems you're 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 excluding people from your service
1: interesting yeah and and it's and it's changed recently a lot right it's i mean because it changed in the past few years used to be a little less and now it's become more can you tell me a little bit about that
0: Absolutely. So year over year, over the past, I think, uh, three to five years, um, the number of um, accessibility lawsuits has grown exponentially. And the reason being is that the laws have become a little bit in that gray area for what has been um, approved as being uh, our website's part of your your physical presence or not. And <clears throat> as certain lawsuits go through, as they're accepted as being, yes, this person was um, um Um, damaged by not being able to access their website service more lawsuits are showing up and your websites are truly an extension of your your business it's the best way to allow for people with disabilities to access your goods and services so by not making it inclusive in the first place you
1: really are excluding them oh yeah um and you're talking about lawsuits you know most people think oh, uh, you know, that's not my business, I'm not going to get sued. But how prevalent are these lawsuits and how expensive are they?
0: A, they're very prevalent, um, and B, they're expensive. So from a prevalence perspective, there are unfortunately these um, drive-by lawyers that are sending out thousands and th- thousands of um, uh, legal issues, so tickets to take businesses that indicate, hey, by the way, you might be, um, here's a problem that we've identified, here's the face that we're attaching this lawsuit to, and they're just ultimately hoping that people just pay them off to make it go away. And the biggest issue inside of that space, so um, specific businesses are being targeted, the Title III one. So restaurants are being hit hard. Doctors' offices are being hard. um, Retail stores are being hit hard. As um, each new lawsuit either gains traction or doesn't gain traction, with the number that's being sent out, they're hoping that people just pay them off to try to make them go away. And the issue at hand is paying them off doesn't make the issue go away. You're not actually helping your customers who actually have a disability use your website. So you're still technically at risk. You may not be able to get hit by that same lawsuit again, but you're still um, excluding your, a certain audience. And you could be grounds for additional lawsuits as the laws keep growing and changing.
1: And, yeah, and, and, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about when we say expensive, what are some of the ranges of lawsuits that you've seen?
0: Well, um, I'm not a lawyer myself, so I can't get the, get into some of those specifics. Um, I know I've heard um, from uh, so local business owners that are getting hit with um, the tw- ten to thirty thousand dollars just to make it go away, and some of the class action lawsuits for larger businesses um, have been in the range of millions.
1: Yeah, I mean I've seen. Uh What was it? Was it five guys that got sued? Winn-Dixie's been sued. Domino's is probably
0: the most recent big uh, uh, company that's been hit with it. And one of their most notable issues that happened occurred um, this year was that their mobile application actually was part of the lawsuit as well. So it's no longer just the physical presence through the website presence, but the mobile app itself was also the target of this lawsuit.
1: And uh, you said before, too, it's like. It's not just for your for your usual disabilities. What are some of the specifics that, things that the, out of the ordinary things that are really triggering some of these lawsuits? Oh, absolutely. So a lot of it is um getting into your website is
0: being able to accommodate uh, things like keyboard control. So a lot of your standard users who have a potentially a subset of your users of who have disabilities can't use mouse. So they need to have an assistive technology device or just a keyboard to be able to navigate your website. And if your website is built in a way that the links aren't activatable by keyboard commands, like you have hover text effects that only happen when you mouse over it, buttons that are not really buttons that you have to activate by pushing it, like a div element that has a custom script to it. So the modern web design is powerful. I mean, there's a lot of great tools to build really interactive websites. But those tools aren't necessarily accessible to begin with. So the developers have to take the time to add the features to make it accessible if they're making this, you know, very interactive, engaging, reactive web technology.
1: And so, I mean, you've been a developer for years. Um, were you ever taught any of this stuff before Engaging it as a business? <laughs> no, not whatsoever. So <clears throat> coming
0: out of school, I had a double honors in math and computer science. I learned high-level application development, worked for IBM, got into uh, media design, started working on websites, and accessibility has always been a side avenue that only a small set of um, really proactive users that are were evangelists for accessibility in the you know uh, early 2000s were saying, hey, by the way, you should... You should consider this. And for big businesses that understood that, that took accessibility as a strategy for the business line, started adopting it early on. Um, But it was no no formal training that really was being spoon-fed, saying, as a developer, you should learn these things. You should learn ARIA. You should learn WCAG. You should learn how to build websites that are accessible from the beginning instead of trying to change them retroactively.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too, because, you know, Jessica, wife, partner, teaches web development at big school and no one, very few people knew anything about this because I was trying to find out information, you know, right. When you start doing it too. Um, and it's, it's crazy. No one's being taught it. I, I've talked to other agency owners. They know so little about it. And, you know, and to your point too, I've, you know, it's, it's small businesses It's right. it's not, everyone thinks, well, it's just going to be this big business. <clears throat> it's a small business that are getting shaken down.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. Like, the size for the business doesn't matter. For these drive-by uh, lawsuits, it's volume. When they're sending out thousands, they're targeting businesses as small as mom and pop shops that have a physical presence and they have a poorly put together website that says, hey, by the way, here's a lawsuit. They don't know how to use it. They don't even have a developer. They aren't using an agency. It was just you know some template that was bought and put up off of a standard hosting provider and next thing you know, it's a gateway for them to be targeted because they don't know any better. They're not being informed what are the accessibility laws for how to manage digital media.
1: No, not at all. No, and, <clears throat> and everyone thinks they're – no one – it's one of those things that they're not thinking about. But on the flip side, the same thing has been happening for years from a physical location standpoint where attorneys drive by and they'll Absolutely. nitpick – Little things that you didn't know were an ADA issue, Um, absolutely. And so Uh, it's it's not something that's completely out of the ordinary. Um, And the other part to know know that is right. And we'll talk about the criteria, but the criteria aren't set in stone per se, are they?
0: No. So it's it's an interesting position because. The principle of of, um, accessibility guidelines right now is the WCAG, which is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines put by uh, the W3C. Originally, Mm -hmm. those were just standard guidelines that were recommendations for, you know, a, a group got together to say, okay, how do we make the web more accessible so people can follow these best practices and standardize them? What happened is when lawsuits got involved, there wasn't meticulous rules about how someone should conform to uh, or be compliant with um, web, web accessibility. So when the DOJ got involved, they just said, well, here's these guidelines, the WCAG. Let's make these the de facto standard for um, it, if it doesn't follow these rules, you're in, not in compliance. If it follows them, great. We don't, you don't have a case. So now uh, developers are struggling to figure out how to use WCAG. Um Other lawyers are trying to figure out how to use it as a potential weapon of saying you're not meeting this standard. Here, you're at risk.
1: Yeah, and and also, I mean, the the law really is it's there's not really a law. The DOJ is enforcing it, but there's not really a law per se, right? No strict law directly that I
0: can allude to. It's just um, everything goes back to um, the uh, ADA, the initial um, uh, ADA. Yeah. Law. So, yeah, so there, was, there was an initial law that came to be, the, when the American Disabilities Act itself came about, there was a set of rules and regulations about, okay, this is how your business had to operate within that. And one of the uh, rules, subset inside of that one, is that you can't exclude users from uh, your public place of accommodation. You have to ensure like equal access for all. Mm. And so the web presence falls under their place of physical property, so to speak, and needs to have equal access for all. So how does a website become um, equivalent place of technology? You have to be able to that they meet these WCAG guidelines.
1: Yeah. And, and I will get in the guidelines in a second. But what are some of the things that, I mean, what are some of the ones that you're seeing people getting? Tagged for. Where are some of the big things that people are doing wrong? The top things.
0: The easiest one for people to um, not pay attention to and get um, hit by these drive-by lawsuits is uh, anything do, anything to do with visual. So your um, your screen reader users, the people who are considered having um, they're either blind or have low vision. Um, so websites that don't have properly configured alt tags and an alt tag isn't just it's there or it's not there. You really need to be determining whether or not it's actually providing value to the user. So if you have a very image-heavy website, you want to first ask yourself the question, are these images fluff? <laughs> like, are <is> they just <laughs> decorative? Like, they're not providing any contributional value. If they stripped away all the image on the website, do they get the same value turn it off and if if so all those images should be marked as decorative which is having an empty alt tag however images that need to have descriptions many designers or developers are just talking about the image they're not necessarily describing the contents of the image because they're not really writers so if so if you had a picture that just said bookcase Mm. okay is that enough for someone to get the context of well if this is an e-commerce website Maybe it should be the product name of the bookcase, how tall it is, how many shelves it has, um, what color it is. So like information that might be beneficial that a, a sighted user could see that describes the image versus bookcase. It's pretty generic. Same thing goes with car. Well, there's a broad spectrum of what car <laughs> means.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and um, so on the flip side, what are, before, you know, what are the positives of becoming compliant? Besides, you know, I mean, obviously, you're, you have better <clears throat> users. You have you, you give users more ability. Tell me a little bit about that. Well,
0: beyond just um, user experience, is hands down one of the best elements inside of it because you have um, greater tools for more users to use, and you may not realize that you're probably causing problems for a subset of users that you didn't even consider are under disability qualification. So someone that has low vision. So someone has astigmatism or just glasses or your your aging population, the baby boomers, who are not necessarily going to say, I'm actually legally blind, but they have enough low vision that they're using screen magnification or they're using the browser zoom. If your website doesn't operate well under those conditions, you're still being exclusionary. And that's a massive amount of users to contribute financial value to your website. So, by having accessibility built into your website, A, you could be gaining more users um, from other businesses that you're stealing them away from because they're not accessible to your competitors, um, as well as you're giving your better user experience to your current users who may not necessarily be complaining or thinking they need to sue you because they're not getting the best experience, but they're they're not happy. So they may just be doing one or two things on your website when they maybe they could be doing 20 to 30 things, yeah. depending on what type of business you are.
1: And, and that's a, an incredible point because we don't, a lot of people aren't going to call you up and say, I can't use your website. Nope. 99.999% of the people aren't going to do that. They're just going to go to the next website. Absolutely. And if, for, you know, like a lot of our clients are, if you're an attorney or a doctor or, you know. You know, we're doing stuff in stem cells. If your website isn't ADA compliant, your a lot of your c- potential clients are having low vision, have astigmatism, have right. cataracts. <laughs> so if they can't use it, they go someplace else. Right. Absolutely. And that's I mean, that value per client, given the cost of it, if your clients worth $5,000, well, it's worth spending a few thousand dollars on a scan and fixing it. Oh, absolutely. Particularly,
0: like, you increase the lifetime value, the likelihood of them not going away, and they start telling their friends, which is like, hey, I was able to use this, maybe you could too. There you go. um, Self-promotion, the social value of having an accessible website, just promoting it out there, saying, we have a strategic goal to make accessibility part of our business, that puts you inside of good merit, inside of you know, social view as well. So it's not just saying we're doing this because we have to, that's not a terrible, that's not a great reason to implement accessibility as a whole. But if you're doing it because you're committed to equal access for all, and that gets picked up from a social perspective, and then you have a stance behind this is why you're committed to doing this work. Yeah. You'll attract more people than you actually pushed away.
1: Yep. And, and the the expense becomes minor. Of, Absolutely. Of getting, of getting there. And well, the expense of a full blown
0: lawsuit is not any, it's 10 times as much of what you'd actually invest into getting it corrected in the first place.
1: Exactly, exactly. So there's, you know, there's a loss and a advantage of gain. A plus, I mean, from just the alt tag side, that increases search engine value, increases your rankings, increases how much Google's going to crawl it and how much information they have.
0: Absolutely. Huh. And um, usually, I know alt tags are probably one of the most minor <laughs> elements of accessibility, yeah. but it does provide value, particularly, with, like as you said, with an SEO perspective. Google's change to SEO algorithms is heavily, heavily context centric. So when, you know, some developers are old school methodologies with SEO, which were stuffing your alt tags with terrible text just to gain rankings, it's not providing value to the website. It's actually decreasing value from a search engine perspective. But Google is seeing that you are your page is going fast, your user audience is not bouncing right away because they actually find value because it's accessible. And the description of the images are actually in line with what the content of the image is as well. So it's providing value there, too. Yeah, you will actually increase your rankings.
1: It, yeah. You'll increase your ranking. And I'd be willing to bet that we're going to see some algorithm updates, especially because they know people that have low vision that have these disabilities, that they'll start ranking these sites that are more and more compliant up higher because it's they want a better user experience. They're already doing that. Absolutely. Are they? <laughs> yep. Uh, there you go. There you go. So, I mean, <laughs> you're spending, you know, two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 a month for on SEO and you don't have a compliant website. Does that make sense? Uh, (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, So let's talk about the factors. I mean, how many factors are there? What are some of the factors? What are some of the obvious ones? What are some of the unobvious ones? Well, the high-level principles
0: are there – your website must be perceivable. So that means that you have to be able to see and understand how the website works. And by see, it's not just actual vision. It must be perceivable to assistive technology. And inside of that perceivable section, there are, I think, uh, I don't know, like four major um, content sections that fall under perceivability, which has to do with images. It has to do with video. It has to do with audit um, audio. It has to do with color. Um, it has to be distinguishable. So, Overall, WCAG has probably 37, 40 sub-bullets about how to implement each section. So beyond perceivability is operability, and that means the website has to be usable. Um, So if a user is using keyboard navigation or they have to be able to um, pause a video or play a video, or some, you know, you know, work with interactivity. It has to be interactive for all tools. So not just a mouse. It has to be operable for a keyboard. It has to be operable for what's called a puff and sip device. So that's a, someone who is in um, a mobility issue that has to use a um, a mouth puffer to actually be able to interact with the keyboard, interact with their website. So it's, the number of assistive tools that exist out there for specialized um, disabilities is massive. So operability has to. From a standard perspective, the website has to be operable for all the tools. Um, next thing is about understandability, and that one's about ensuring that um, elements such as your errors are announced to a screen reader and they're visible. So you have websites, so you're filling out a form, you're putting in your credit card information, and you highlight all the input fields that have an error in red. Well, what if someone's colorblind? You know, they they can't see that there's any errors on the page. There's no error message, so you have to do you have to make sure that you know that your errors are perceivable, they're understandable, they're announced to a screen reader, they're not just highlighted in some color that someone can't perceive. And the last thing is about robust, and this is about forward thinking. So using things like um, HTML parser, your website has to be parsable. So many you know modern CMS tools um, put together behind the scenes, probably the worst markup you may have ever seen, because they're not thinking about the accessibility of it. As long as it works, who cares about parsability? Well, parsability does affect tools that are reliant on standards. So again, using the screen readers, using braille keyboard devices that are trying to interpret the content of the screen and transcribe them to braille output. So as long as you're following standards, it needs to be, again, parsable. You have to understand the, um, the name or custom input control value. So you have buttons. What is the button label? What does the button do? Having a button that just says go is not really clear if you don't know the context of that button.
1: All right. So at this point, I understood everything that you said, but I would say 85% of our listeners are are looking up at least one of those things that you just said. <laughs> um, but what's awesome is if you go to martechnology.com slash offer, Jamie is offering up. Tell me a little bit about what you're offering there.
0: All right, so what I'm offering is a... Uh, micro-review of one page on your website to determine whether or not you're at risk. And it will help you summarize the baseline, whether or not there are some existing accessibility issues that exist on your website to, it's just on even one page. How at risk are you? Because usually if, you're, if your one page is at risk, most likely your whole website's at risk. And conformance and compliance from a website perspective, particularly if you're trying to adhere to um, a lawsuit, your whole website has to be compliant and, and conform. So you can't just rely on one page. Um, but at least it gives you the insight of saying, Am I likely at risk? And then you start determining if you want to put some effort and budget into providing deeper audit and analysis for the website, put together a strategic um, plan for implementing and rolling this out, or even consult your developer agency about planning a rebrand launch if it's extremely incompliant. Like, maybe you want to start fresh as an opportunity to say, you know what, I haven't updated my doctor website in 15 years. Maybe it's time to start fresh (laughs) instead of fixing what's broken.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and... Like, just operability alone. Because you said something there in, in, you know, in those three major categories. But what I want people to understand is that what shopping cart abandonment, which also means filling out forms, is like 75%. And that's for people that know how to use it. So if, if you can make it more operable for these more people and also for the people that are filling it out that have full capabilities. Um, right. You're going to make a lot more money. You're going to get a lot more leads. You're going to have a lot more happy clients. And I think that that's a, it's a big opportunity. So people shouldn't look at this as a fear as much as an opportunity to improve, to get yourself ahead. Because more people see your website than see your your any of your other stuff. You spend all this money on a building. You spend all this money on fa- fancy clothes, uniforms for your clients. Make your website the most accessible, most awesome thing there is. I think it's a very, very good point to you to do. Um, Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So uh, tell me a little bit about um, how like some of the clients that you're working with, is is there anyone that you're finding that is 100 percent? In line by time? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. However, um, there are some businesses that have <clears throat> uh, invested early on. They have usually, I work with some pretty large scale businesses, and they have their own development team. And the ones that have um, heavily invested in having um, accessibility as a strategy rolled out um, are on a great track. And they're going through the method of actually reviewing on a frequent basis to ensure that what their development team is producing. Still meet standards because it, it takes someone with a, a, a certification to really be able to review and analyze the results. So, like developers can pick up the process, learn how the development works, learn the tools, learn the technologies. Um, but it's easy to miss little things if they're not um, careful, and that's why a third-party reviewer can help see and realign that strategy. It's the businesses that have they're coming out of the blue that are doing it poorly. They they've hired a development agency that said, "Yeah, I can make things accessible." without having a background of insight or knowledge on how to do that so they're learning accessibility on their clients dime and what happens there is poorly implemented aria or accessibility controls inside of a website actually make a website less accessible than more accessible so doing things wrong can actually hurt the results more so than help the results
1: interesting interesting can you give me an example
0: Um, A good example would be, so um, ARIA is um, um, accessibility-rich interactive application tools. They're little attributes that you can convert your on-page elements into kind of robust elements. So a good example is you can make an an accordion widget, which you see pretty common on a few FAQs uh, that exist on websites out there. The accordion is you click on a header, extra content pulls down. So... To define that structure, you have to add the correct um, roles and attributes and keyboard functionality to it. If someone doesn't understand the roles and attributes, they could incorrectly nest the element four, five, six times. So a screen reader might read it off as ARIA button, ARIA button, ARIA menu, ARIA button, ARIA listed. Like may read off 17 elements that the user's not even seeing the content of what it is. It's reading off all this extra markup that isn't visible to a screen. Like if someone's looking on screen and hey, look the key, the accordion looks fantastic, but to a screen reader, they would abandon instantly because they're being hit by markup hell. That isn't giving them any extra value to understanding the content.
1: Interesting. Interesting. And when it comes to content, you know, and putting new content on a website and videos and like, especially video, <laughs> what are some of the criteria that we should look at? If, if I've got it, you know, if, if I now have an ADA compliant website, you know, I've got all this ready. When I'm adding new web content, what are some of the main criteria I should be looking for?
0: Video is, a, is a, a little bit of a beast unto itself and is an important element to really take into consideration. So there's two guidelines inside of video that are very important, and that's ensuring that um, closed captioning is provided and that way audio descriptions are provided. So closed caption, a lot of people just rely on using, let's say, YouTube to use the automatic transcription process. And as great as that tool is from a convenience perspective, it's not 100% accurate. So you'll see if you've ever read through the transcript on closed captioning on some of the videos you put up, <clears throat> the end result that a deaf user would might be reading could be extremely thrown off and even offensive about trying to interpret what the video is talking about. So it would be beneficial to actually you know, get a, a recording, have a digital um, conversion of your transcript to actual text manually edit it to make sure it's correct and upload that to youtube so that you're seeing the real transcript of the audio instead of the automatic one and that's a a huge plus to end user and that provides um, a lot of value for not even users who are just deaf because if your users are watching your website on the mobile device whether on the train whether at work when they're not supposed to be they're reading the video. They're watching the video, but they're reading the subtext because they don't want the audio to be on. Yep. Um, so that's a huge added bonus of your additional users that you may not be realizing are impacted by your closed captioning not being correct. And the second one is audio description. This is what gets most uh, businesses because they don't know what audio description is. So audio description is um, a secondary track, so to speak, um, for your video that describes what's going on inside the video for the visually impaired. So let's say you had a video that was um, an information tool about how to build a bike or how to cook the perfect pancake, whatever it may be. Um, You're putting up this type of content marketing all the time. And with that, your users with a visual disability can listen to the video they're not watching the video. So a, a secondary version of the video should is supposed to be provided with audio descriptions on that has a narrator track that's actually describing the content of the video itself, such as to make the perfect pancake, you take the batter. He's you know, putting it flat on the grill. He uses a spatula. that has this prong. He's flipping it over. Like actually describing what isn't being announced verbally in the video so they can get a sense of what the video is doing.
1: Yeah, and, and and that makes sense from an SEO standpoint too, because it gives Google more and YouTube more content. To Absolutely, what's going on to rank it better. Um, Absolutely, and you'll increase searchability. Um, so it, once again, makes complete sense. Um, and then you know, it, when it comes to content and this type of content, the other thing we've I've heard about a lot of is people without physical stores, people with e-commerce stores, especially like Shopify stores, getting hit with these lawsuits. You know What's unique about e-commerce stores that they need to be looking out for?
0: Well, that's, that's where it gets into a gray area from a legal perspective, and you want to look at it from two sides. I think all businesses that have a uh, customer base um, that you really want to be appealing to and trying to incre- increase your customer base, you really want to work about adding accessibility anyways. Those that are required by law at the moment really are just the ones that are physical retail store, such as um, uh, you know a retail presence, a restaurant, doctor's office. Um, so, from a legal perspective, someone who owns a Shopify site that actually doesn't have a physical presence, they could get a lawsuit, but it could be thrown out pretty easily because there's no standards that say they have to have um, a, a digital. The, the, they can't correlate the ADA lawsuit to them at this point. So there's no grounds for it. Yeah. Um, so, mostly, like I yeah. said, they could get sued, but that could get tossed out pretty easily. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop shouldn't.
1: you there just to remind you neither Jamie or I are attorneys. If you're always consult an attorney, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I agree with that, hands down, potentially. <laughs> Uh, yeah always consult a
0: lawyer about, about the legal ramifications of you know the lawsuits but um like as the guidelines are set up at this moment there there isn't that that clear connection um but it doesn't it doesn't stop lawyers from trying and the biggest thing too is laws are always changing like mm-hmm. WCAG 2.1 was just released in mid-June last year which is just the evolve the next phase of element with your WCAG guidelines so as the the DOJ is adopting these more and more there could be another advancement, which now indicates, hey, all websites have to be compliant. So it, it doesn't hurt to be proactive and be responsible, um, but it can hurt you for ignoring it and pretending it will, won't go away. So from an e-commerce perspective, absolutely, you really should be paying attention to... Looking at how your website is, operates from a keyboard perspective, are your products listed a certain way? Um, being able to have use a test screen reader for yourself, if you don't want to be working with an agency, just see how it's being announced, and that will give you an insight as to you know how robust your website is and how many problems there are.
1: Yeah, and like, if, but if I, if I'm a um, you know I'm a small e-commerce person, you know, just getting started, a few products out there, and I want to prevent getting sued. What would you say are the top five things I should be looking at?
0: Okay. Um, so two things. Number one, platform, choose a platform that's um, you, as you're reviewing into it, let's use, you know, Shopify example. I'm not picking on any brands at the moment. If see, it's <laughs> no, but uh, see if they have an accessibility statement, because if, if as a provider of a tool, uh, if their stance behind accessibility exists, the ideally you can expect that the technology behind it is being vetted by developers, the being constantly reviewed and improved. So the only responsibility on you as an e-commerce provider. Will be content, which is the other half of the equation. So the technology platform is side one, which you may not be responsible for, but you can choose the good platform to begin with. But as an author, you really want to get clear about um, naming images. You wanna be sure that as you're putting content up, that's not just strictly a hundred percent image laden website, like you have to have valuable text on the page as well. Anytime that you have text within an image, try to determine can that text actually live outside of an image directly on the page to make it more accessible for someone who's using a magnification tool. And you know, naming conventions, don't just name this shirt. If someone wants to buy your product line, do they know what product they're actually buying? Is this a pink shirt? Is this a blue shirt? Is it large? Is it small? Is it buttoned? Like provide that value for someone. If you were saying, well, if you close your eyes and you had to buy a product right now, how would someone describe that product to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's super important. <laughs> and once again, SEO friendly. Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah. And it's taking that time to do it from the beginning before you get 100 SKUs. And you're trying to figure it all out. Um, very cool. Very cool. So uh, like I said, so what, what do you see as the biggest problem out there when it comes to this with business owners? What, what is the biggest mistake that they're making? Um,
0: waiting. Awareness. <laughs> um, not b- believing that it doesn't apply to them. Um, so as a business owner, find out. Uh, so it may or may not apply to you, but find out. And then if it does apply to you, take a proactive stance on imp- creating an accessibility strategy before it's too late. So you're in good hands when you're not in the realm of a lawsuit. You're, if someone's not identified you as an at-risk target, uh, you're a million-dollar business and they're looking to make some money off of you, if you're growing and you recognize that you could be at risk, and you think, well, I believe in accessibility, I believe in equal technology access for all, create it as a goal with, inside of your mission because your users are also your employees, your users are also um, your stakeholders, your, your business owners, Your anyone that works or accesses your technology is a user and any one of them or their family could be affected by a disability that you don't realize that you're affecting. So why not take that stance of saying, I want to increase this opportunity and look good in their eyes Create a better website, create a more inclusive website, and even grow my clients while I'm doing it.
1: Yes, I love that. I love it. I love it. Um, so, once again, if someone wants to get a hold of you, Jamie, tell us a little about your, your website, your offer, and, and how to get a hold of you. Okay, perfect.
0: Well, um, my offer is available at
1: martechnology.com
0: and that's martek technology.com slash offer. And what I'm offering is a one-page micro-review of the top um, uh, seven issues, or sorry, top five issues that might put you at risk from a website compliance. And that's a good point to really get a sense for yourself, you know, what should I do with this? Um, if your website's in good standing, great, that's fantastic. But if you are at risk, that could be an opportunity for a conversation see, well, how do I deal with this? Do I want to create a strategy? Do I want to talk to new agency about improving my website before it's too late? Or do I, should I talk to a lawyer? And all those are opportunities for you to look at, but starting with that, at that at risk review to help determine for yourself, does this make sense for me? Um, because not knowing is the biggest place of issue that you can be coming from.
1: Yes. Yes. And and, I mean, I know personally, know people that have been sued. So if you don't think it can happen to you, I mean, e-commerce owners to accountants, to lawyers, to dentists, it, it will, it can happen and it's happening more and more frequently. So that's why we did this. I want to make sure everyone is in the know and, can offer you know access awesome services like Jamie's. I mean, he's a great guy. knows what he's doing. Very professional, and obviously, he's done all the certifications and is doing as much as possible. He's not just saying I read a page document and now I know it. <laughs> right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> awesome, Jamie. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you,
0: Ian. It was great to be here.
1: And it was great to have you, and thank you all for listening to the Garlic Marketing Show. This has been Ian and Jamie, and thanks for taking us on your journey.